you have received a clinic on how to do Bible reading. <laughs> Mac, that was outstanding. Historically so, I believe. J. Vernon McGee uses an illustration that for some reason is resonating more with us these days. It was about a simple country boy who uh, bought a cow. And he found out that it cost something to feed the front of that cow, but that he got something out of the back of that cow. And so he decided that he would neglect the front end of the cow so that he could concentrate more on the milk out of the back of the cow so that he could make more money. And you know what eventually happened. Tragically, that cow was no longer with him. But McGee said that there's at least two morals to this story with regard to that boy and the cow. That is that, first of all, we can't take what we want of the Word of God and reject the rest of it. And number two, if we want to receive the benefits and the blessings that come from the knowledge of the Word of God, we have got to invest in it. So often what happens is is that people stop investing in the Word. And the Word doesn't die, but they do spiritually. Nehemiah is one of my favorite Old Testament books. And usually when we think about Nehemiah, we think about the great wall project that they were engaged in and the manual labor that goes along with it. And if you think about Nehemiah, you think about some of the great themes, if it's great leadership or unity or faith or hard work. But you're going to find that the book doesn't end when the wall around Jerusalem is built. There's so much more to be found in it. And when you look at the book of Nehemiah, the hub of that wonderful book, when it comes to what they did after the labor was done, is in Nehemiah chapter 8. They had a great respect for the Word of God, and it led them to remarkable success. The people survived. The people thrived as the result of their attitude toward the Word of God. All you need to do is to walk through the book and to see how the inspired Nehemiah keeps coming back and talking about the Word in one way or another all the way through the book. In fact, if you were to go through and count, there are some 19 references to the law in the book of Nehemiah. That there are nine just in chapter 8 alone. Eight times in the book of Nehemiah there is reference made to the book And three times in that relatively short book, you'll find that Nehemiah says it is written. There's this heavy emphasis on the people's regard and their connection to the Word. I don't want us to miss that a people of God that are going to grow and thrive and to be stronger as a group and as individuals has to have the attitude that we see in the book of Nehemiah. You know, they tell us statistically that the Bible is more accessible around the world than ever before. We get that just because of the internet. We would think that that would be true. And because of efforts that have been made by various mission groups to send Bibles overseas. We just did that. We just sent several Bibles to South Africa. And works like this are going on all the time. Freight and shipping and the ease of travel have taken Bibles everywhere. And that goes to show us that accessibility all by itself is not enough to revive and renew our respect for the Word of God. But I think we can walk through Nehemiah chapter 8 and we can see some of the marks of spiritual renewal that led to their spiritual success. If you will, notice them with me in the time that we have together. 
First of all, if we are going to revive our respect for the Word of God, there has got to be hunger. Verse 1 and 2. I want you to notice how this chapter opens. And Mac and his reading helped us with this a moment ago. The people of God gathered as one man. And they asked for Ezra the scribe to read from the book of the law of Moses which he had given to Israel. And you'll find that Ezra complies with this and he gets up to read. And who he reads it to is uh, all who could understand. Men, women, and all who could hear with understanding. You'll find that there was a hunger, there was an anxiousness on the part of the people to hear the word of God proclaimed. And it made all the difference in the world. It wasn't like it was always the case that the people of God were anxious to hear the word proclaimed. I want you to contrast the success that they had in Nehemiah's day and their hunger for the word of God and the way that it was before Babylonian captivity in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah went to share the word of God with the people and they refused to listen. Jeremiah 6 and verse 19 and the result of their refusal was disaster upon the land. In Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 27, God says, you're going to speak to the people and they are not going to listen to you. I want you to see that before the Babylonian captivity and leading up to that, their refusal to listen to the word of God led to disaster. But by contrast, on the other side of Babylonian captivity, their desire, their hunger to hear the word of God led to their spiritual success. Whenever we find ourselves as a people who refuse to gather as one man to hear the word of the Lord, we're on a course with disaster. But what Nehemiah shows us is is that when we renew our dedication to be hungry for what the word of God has to say, then we're going to find ourselves on the road to spiritual success. You know, the FDA has given us the, the statistics about all the averages that exist out there. I don't know if you know this and where you find yourself on the chart, but they say the average man is five foot nine inches and 190 pounds. The average woman is five foot four and 164 pounds. And the average age of people in this country is 36.6 years old. But what I found interesting is, is that the average American consumes 1,996 pounds a year, just four pounds short of a ton. That's each and every one of us every year. And they break that down. That includes 29 pounds of fries, 23 pounds of pizza, 53 gallons of soda, 24 pounds of ice cream, 110 pounds of red meat, and 142 pounds of sugar. Don't you feel heavy sitting here tonight? You know, they, the National Geographic tells us that Americans eat the fourth most calories per person per day of all the nations in the world. They further tell us that the average American is eating 800 more calories a day than our counterparts were back in 1961. I guess the point of all of that is, is that there is nothing wrong with our physical appetites unless they're too big and too unhealthy. But by contrast, there is a distinct lack sometimes of desire for a spiritual hunger for the Word of God. Pew Research did a study not too long ago about the state of religion in America, and you're not surprised when I tell you that there's a decline in interest overall in spiritual things, but they break that down into different categories. 
And they tell us that about 36% of people across the nation go to church somewhere every week. That 35% of all people read their Bible at least once outside of an assembly every week. But 45% seldom if ever read the Bible. That, that there are more people by percentage who trust their common sense and their experience than they do the teachings of the Word of God. A mindset like that is an indication that while our bodies are bloating, that our spirits are starving. But what turns that around is the very mentality that they had in Nehemiah's day. I want you to see as they have come through that great building project and they begin to focus themselves on the Word of God, that there was a hunger, there was a desire to have the Word of God presented to them. And when we as one man gather to hear the word of God with that kind of a hunger, it is going to cause us to be stronger and to grow. Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. I know we live in an age, this slick multimedia age, in which we want to package the gospel as, as best we can to reach the hearts of people. But there is no greater curb appeal than a people, man, woman, and all who can listen with understanding, who hunger and desire for the Word of God. The first mark of spiritual renewal that led to their success in Nehemiah's day and that will lead in our day, I don't know what could precede it, is a hunger for the Word of God. Number two, I want you to notice with me that uh, spiritual renewal was marked by their hearing the Word of God. When you get to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, you find Ezra and 13 other men who stand up in front of the people and they st- read the Word of God to them. There's a desire for them to hear the Word of God as it's shared with them. And I want you to notice at least three things that are characteristic of Nehemiah and Ezra's work on the day that's recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter 8. That first of all, they took sufficient time. If you'll look in verse 3, you'll find that Ezra read from the word of the Lord from the morning until the midday. Now that's remarkable to me. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with us that if, if we don't find that enthralling and appealing, but can you imagine the setup? It, perhaps you think about the sun coming up and it's early and Ezra's standing there on the occasion that he is and he's reading and people come and they stand there and they hear the word and they continue to stay while they, but the, Ezra continues to read from the word and it goes all the way through breakfast time and it goes all the way up to lunch time. They took the time to read the word of God and the people listened to the word of God. But only did they take uh, sufficient time, they also paid sufficient attention. You'll find that it says that they sat and they were attentive to the law of the Lord. And they made sufficient preparation. I don't know where pulpits came from, but it appears on this occasion, the first time I read about one, is that they make a podium specifically for this occasion so that the word of God could be laid there and it could be read to the people. It's an incredible thing to see how much faith that they put in hearing the Word of God. I don't have to tell you, though, that it wasn't always that way in the history of God's people. Do you remember the prophet Amos and his work in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11? where God says to the prophet that he was going to call for a famine on the land, not of bread or of water, but of hearing the Word of the Lord? In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, 
The prophet Hosea says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They had forgotten the word of God and the law of God because they had not listened. But you contrast that to the success that's enjoyed on the day in which Ezra and the priests read and the people listen, they hear. When you study throughout the Bible, you see how frequently the Bible attaches blessings to those who are good hearers of the word of God. A blessing that's attached when we open up our hearts to the Word of God and humble ourselves to the will of God. The one that comes perhaps front of mind is Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Hearing God's Word produces a deep trust in the God who originated it. Matthew 7 and verse 24, Jesus says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like a wise man. Or Matthew 13 and verse 23, that the one who hears and understands the word bears fruit and brings forth. Paul says in Colossians 1 and verse 5, you heard the word, the gospel, and it brought you hope. And in Revelation 1 and verse 3, John says, blessed is the one who hears and who understands the words of this prophecy. And so as we look at what made the people so great and flourishing in Nehemiah's day, yes, it was their hunger for the Word of God, but they had their hearts open and their ears open, and they listened to it. But you know, that goes only so far. The third mark of respect that we see with regard to their renewing their respect for the Word of God is that they honored that Word. They gave it honor. You'll see that in the way that they responded when Ezra and the priest stood before them. We saw this when uh, Mac read to us a moment ago, but the first thing that they did was they stood up. In verse 5, Ezra and the 13 opened up the scroll of the book, and when they did, spontaneously, the people stood up. You know, I, I suppose it goes without saying, but when we have this custom uh, every time, Sunday morning and Sunday night, and we ask people to stand, not only for the song, but for the scripture reading that follows that, that that's not a pattern. We don't have to do that. But if I understand it right, the reason why we do that here at Lehman is because we want to honor the Word of God. There's nothing that's said in the context that says that this was an act of reverence. But this spontaneous action, that as soon as they read, that the people in response, they stood up. And what they did with the word right after this shows us that they felt a reverence. What do we do? I don't know if any of you enjoy going to Mission Barbecue. It's one of my new favorite places here in town. But it, boy, if you happen to be there, and I have been with a few of you there at, at noontime, what they'll do is you don't even have to ask. They'll, they'll, they play the Pledge of Allegiance, and everybody stands up. It's a timeless principle. When we really want to honor, and we do want to honor, honor those who lived and died in their service in the military, even greater than that is the honor that we want to show God and His Word. And that's what happens on this day. When they read the Word of the Lord, there's this spontaneous response, and the people stood up. And the people said, Amen, Amen. Hey, you know what that means? That if ever you hear something that wants to, causes you to want to amen, feel free. It's biblical. It's what they did back even in Nehemiah's day. When they heard God's word and it was right and it was true, the people said amen. They said so be it. What they say is, is that they were uniting in their response and submission to the word of God. But third, they showed their honor by lifting up their hands. 
In verse 6, as we understand from the Hebrew culture, it would have been upturned. And it would have been an expression of dependency. It would have been an indication of gratitude. So if you can imagine in your mind that the word of God is being shared with them from the morning until the midday, the people stand up, the people say amen, and they lift up their hands saying, God, we need this word. That's how much we honor it. And then something that's amazing. I don't know that I've ever seen it, but wouldn't it be incredible? If our hearts were so touched by the reading of the word that we were, would bow down with our faces toward the ground at the, the powerful impact and the challenge of Scripture. No wonder they were so successful. No wonder they had a mind to build. No wonder they rebuilt the wall in such a quick time. It was because of their attitude toward the word of God. They said it is from God and so we're going to honor it with all that we are and with all that we have. God wants that kind of a response from us, that kind of an honor. I find remarkable a flight that happened a few years ago on an Eastern Express jet from Portland, Maine to Boston, Massachusetts. Paul Boucher uh, and his co-pilot were on that particular flight together. And as they were there and they were trying to, to land, they saw the door ajar light on in the cockpit. And so Boucher, as the pilot, turned the controls over to his co-pilot and he went back into the area where the door was and he tried to see if it was secure. And about the time that he went to try to secure it, the door popped open and Boucher flew out the door. It was going 200 miles an hour, 5,000 feet above the ground. And remarkably, somehow Boucher was able to grab the ladder on his way out into the air. And his co-pilot tried to land that plane, and he did so as quickly as possible. He was able to land it in less than 10 minutes. And here was Boucher, who had grabbed that ladder, his head about a foot from the ground, and it was still going 100 miles an hour as he was taxiing down. And what I found remarkable is that they said that aviation officials, it took them several minutes to pry Boucher's hands off of that ladder. Wouldn't you be that way? Boucher held on to that ladder because he needed to, to save his life. He would not let it go. I wonder how many hold on to something that will take their lives spiritually. What we find in Nehemiah's day is that they clung to the word of God. They were going to hold on to it and not let it go for anything else. That honor leads a church to thrive and to grow. So often we'll have said to us that the plain old gospel is not enough in its simplicity to cause the church to grow and to flourish and thrive. But Ezra and Nehemiah didn't think so and neither did the people who listened to the word. They honored it. But then fourth, I want you to notice a mark of spiritual renewal was their desire for help. Verse 7 and 8. Is there any more humble response in all the Bible than that which was given by the eunuch in Acts chapter 8? He's in his chariot and he's reading and the Spirit sends Philip to him. He's reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip asks him saying, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I except some man should guide me? And he invited Philip into the chariot and he taught him. You know, that humility existed in the hearts of the leaders and the followers of Nehemiah's day. It says that the priests and the Levites, they gave the people a sense of the understanding. 
It's commonly thought that those who came back from Babylonian captivity, they had been in Babylon for 70 years, just short of a century. And it's possible that most of them spoke Aramaic. That would have been the local language. And that perhaps few of them spoke Hebrew. And so they needed the priest to show them God's word and God's ways and and break it down so that they could understand it. The people knew that they needed help. And so they were willing to have the word proclaimed to them. You know, there's no substitute that can be had on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, or any other time that teaching and preaching is taking place for our individual responsibility to understand and know God's Word. We've got to be students on our own. But it's remarkable to me that God has made preaching and teaching an important part of His plan since the beginning of time. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, God calls Peter a preacher of righteousness. Jonah, in Jonah 3 and verse 2, is told to go to Nineveh and there preach the preaching that God bid him to preach. In John 3 and verse 1, John the Baptist comes from the wilderness of Judea and he's preaching. In Matthew 4, 17, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sends out 70 of his disciples, two by two, into the lost of Israel to preach to them. And he sends you and me to preach, Matthew 28, 19. So we're not surprised when we get to the epistles and we find statements like this. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the message preached to save those that believe. 1 Corinthians 1.21 God has manifested His word through preaching according to Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. When we read the second part of the chapter, it looks like that the Levites uh, are... Uh, having the people segmented. Many believe perhaps they broke them into smaller groups like our Bible classes so that they could break it down and explain the sense to them, those that had gathered, men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Sometimes we need help. We need someone to guide us to understand the truth of God's Word. And if we're going to have spiritual renewal, we've got to humble our hearts so that we can ask when we don't understand something about God's Word. Another mark of their spiritual renewal was their heart. Verse 9 through 12. When you look at the hearts of the people here, you see hearts that are softened by the teaching of the Word of God. In fact, there's an uncontrolled emotion that occurs on the day in which Nehemiah has Ezra and the Levites to share the Word with the people. This emotion that came was as a result, we don't know, perhaps was it a need that the nation had to repent or to acknowledge the sin that had led them into captivity? Scripture doesn't say. What we do see in verse 11 is that the priests say, dry your eyes, this is a day of rejoicing. But what preceded that was a heart that was broken by the word. That's not a bad thing. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the Word of God is like a surgeon's knife, meticulous. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it gets right down to the innermost parts of who we are. When that happened to the people in Corinth, Paul writes and he says in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, that the words that he had written, presumably in the first letter, had led them to godly sorrow. William Fry wrote the book, Tears, The Mystery of Crying, And he gives some statistics that may not surprise you. He said that the average woman has 5.3 crying bouts per month. I don't have any idea how that is in the continuum of your household. 
They say that men have about 1.4 crying bouts every month. I know sometimes those numbers can be different in every different household. And men typically, they might well up with tears. But women openly weep. You know, Fry says in his book that there's a different chemical compound in weeping tears and tears that come through eye irritation. Fry contends that men's inability to weep in stressful situations may explain in part why men don't live as long as women do. I don't know about that, but I do know that there are times when our hearts need to be moved by the gospel and when it is and when our emotions are involved, it leads us to strength and growth as the people of God. I don't have the statistics for this to know certainly, but over the course of my preaching life, I think that by average that there has been a larger number of children and teenagers and young adults who have responded to the invitation of Christ. They've not had decades of time to harden their hearts or to develop habits or a pride that may keep them from humbling themselves. Maybe this is why Jesus says, if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then we've got to receive it like a child. Luke 18 and verse 17. You want to see the growth that takes place, the incredible restoration of Nehemiah's day, I think it can be traced to the emotion of the people. Their hearts were engaged. But another element that led to their spiritual renewal was the heads of the households. We see this in verse 13 through 15. There's an incredible collaboration that takes place. I don't know how many heads of households there were in all the land of the people who came back. I know Ezra tells us of the tens of thousands that came back from Babylon in their their, uh, faith in God and they began to resettle the land. I don't know how many there were, but they gathered with the leaders of the people. And they determined that they were going to obey the word of the Lord, what God had proclaimed in his law concerning the festival in the seventh month. Nehemiah mentions that. Now, the the thing is, we don't know exactly from the text which of the two uh, national feasts there were. There were two in the seventh month. We don't think it was the Day of Atonement because the Bible tells us that that was a solemn occasion. It would have been a day that was very somber in its nature. But there was also on the 15th day of the seventh month, according to Deuteronomy 16 and verse 15, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a more celebrating occasion. On this occasion, they would camp out in tents in commemoration of God's protection through the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And it was also a time for them to celebrate the first fruits. But they got together and they determined that they were going to keep the feast according to the law, verse 14. And they issued a proclamation that it should go throughout the entire land, verse 15. So why all that tedious detail? It was because of who was involved in the restoration and the renewal. You show me a time of spiritual stagnation and a time of doctrinal decline and I will show you at least somewhere in that men who are the heads of their houses who are not leading their families to revere the word of God, who are not taking the time to accept the responsibility to share God's word and when you find there's growth and the church is thriving, you will probably find fathers and husbands who are taking the reins of leadership and who are not figureheads, but who are sharing God's word faithfully. What we see here is a desire for the heads of the household to do the work God had given them to do and to take responsibility for their homes. 
I want to recommend a resource. If you want a good marriage book, y'all remember when we had Eric Owens to speak on our equip this year? By the way, we tried to get him back. He's just so busy, we'll have to shoot for 25. But he's got some great books. His book on marriage, Do You Take God? If you had to have one book, I think outside the Bible, that'd be one I would recommend. In chapter 15 of that book, he gives reasons for why men say they don't lead their homes. One of the reasons he says that they give is they don't agree with God that it's their job to be the leaders. Number two, he says that they're ignorant of what the Word of God says about the responsibility they have as the head of their household. They say sometimes that they have given that job to their wife as if they could turn over to someone else what God had given them to do. And they said that their wives won't let them lead. Well, that's something that's got to get resolved. Ephesians 5, 25-27, men compares us in Christ. And our relationship with a wife, with his relationship with the church, what happens in Nehemiah's day that led them to grow and to be stronger is the heads of the household, they grab the reins of responsibility. The next element that led to a renewal of respect for God's word was that there was happiness. This is really a result, but it's an inevitable result. When we renew and restore our interest in being serious students of the Bible, notice the wording in chapter 8. There's celebration and there's rejoicing, verse 17 and 18. This celebration and rejoicing came as a direct result of the fact that they knew that what God had laid out for them, their responsibility, they had done. I think that God has made it clear that he wants his people to be people who rejoice. We ought to be of all people those who are radiating a happiness because of what's been done for us. Our response to the grace of God ought to lead to joy. But I want you to see that this is an informed joy. This is a joy that comes because they were confronted with the Word of God and they obeyed the Word of God and they were feeling the fruits of that. And I think it's always the case that when we will accept what God challenges us with, with the Word, it's inevitably going to lead us to joy. You know, H.A. Ironside says that any time in history when you see a renewal, a revival among the people of God, Josiah's day, Hezekiah's day, in the days of the church throughout the centuries, what you will usually find is small bands of devoted disciples who are huddled over an open word. And, I, and he makes those remarks as a preface to Nehemiah chapter 8. Do you see the evolution in this chapter? They bring the word of God. They open up the Word of God. They hear the Word of God. They revere the Word of God. They open their heart to the Word of God. Their hearts are touched by the Word of God. And they obey the Word of God. God's given us the blueprint. As we talk about all the great things that we want to dare to do for God, the ways that we want to succeed... In trying to be the people of God that are a light on the hill, it is going to be tied to our attitude and our work in God's Word. There's no substitute for that. And the more we fill our hearts with the Word of God, the more we're going to find ourselves able to share and to build on that foundation. There was a man by the name of James Holman who traveled around the world. He died in 1857, so before the advent of modern transportation. But he logged 250,000 miles in travels around the world. He hiked Mount Vesuvius while it was erupting. 
He fought a mad, or hunted a mad elephant in Ceylon. He was attempting to circumnavigate the globe, mostly overland, and was well on his way to succeeding until he was arrested by Russian authorities and suspicion of being a spy. This British naval captain was an incredible story in history. You know why? He had an illness at the age of 25, and Holman lost his sight. And so every one of those exploits, every one of those miles was logged by the blind traveler. That's how he was known. It's amazing that a man without physical sight could do so much. But what can we do when we're blessed with heavenly sight? And that's exactly what the Word of God is. Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 23 says that by the Word of God that He will be known in the sight of all nations and they will know that He is God. When we think about the work that was going on in Nehemiah's day, Nehemiah found broken lives as well as broken walls. The brick and the mortar solved the broken walls. But only the Word of God could solve the broken lives. And when they dedicated themselves to that, they turned their world upside down. That's what we want to do. We want to turn the world upside down right where we are. What it will take is a dedication like they had to the Word of God. That dedication begins on an individual basis. It begins with our own attitude toward the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And faith will lead us inevitably to obedience. So if there's someone here tonight who's not yet acted on their faith and is ready to obey the gospel... We keep the water ready. We would love to help assist you put on Christ in baptism, either in this assembly or later after everyone is left. We could do it then. We would love to encourage you in that decision to open your heart to the Word of God and let it change and transform you. If you're a child of God whose heart has been shut off to the Word of God, it's a course that leads to disaster, but it's a course that can be changed. Perhaps you have some need that you need to express publicly. For us to pray for you, to repent of sins, for us to encourage you in some way. I don't know what it may be, but if now is the time that you need to act on that, we're going to sing, Andy's going to lead us in that song to encourage you, and if you need to respond, why don't you do it right now as we stand and sing.